0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
2: Right off the get-go here at uh, 12.08 on this Saturday, uh, a friend, an old friend. um, We used to work together at WCCO in the evening. And he's so much more. If you follow him on Facebook, you'll see that he is always busy, always working on uh, one thing or another. And now he's got a brand new book. I'm talking about none other than T.D. Mischke. Tommy Mischke joins me this afternoon here on WCCO to talk about a winter's, not not a, just winter's song, a hymn to the north.
1: Tommy, good afternoon. How the heck are you? I am doing well. I am so delighted to be back on the air with you. It's been too long. (laughs)
2: <laughs> when I was working in the evenings and Tommy Mishkey would come in and follow me on WCCO, I used to always say, don't say anything until I get to my car. Um, <laughs> so then I would scamper across the street to the parking ramp. And there was more than one occasion where I had to pull over because I was laughing uncontrollably or just... Uh, <laughs> No, seriously, Tommy. That's that's the case. So we're going to find out what you've been doing besides um, this book. But let's talk about Winter's Song, a hymn to the North. Give me the, the 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 background behind the book. Where where did the idea come from to put this together?
1: When I was interviewing people for a living at KSTP and then at WCCO. And I would be speaking with an author. I wanted to know how long it took them to write the book. And when they would say two, three, four, five, sometimes six years, I would say to myself, hmm, I wonder what I could spend that much time with. What What is there (laughs) out there that I could live with day in and day out, month after month, year after year? And I assumed there was nothing. And then one day it hit me. It was a winter day. And I realized, look at this gigantic thing before us, this thing called winter, this thing that's been a part of our lives here in the Northland forever, this thing that dominates the calendar, this thing that shapes, molds, and and informs our personality. When I travel the country and tell people where I'm from, the first thing they talk about is our winters. It's our identity. But I couldn't find another book that had addressed that. Mostly what I found was was a lot of uh, winter survival books, how I made it in the (laughs) Arctic the whole year. But nothing about day-to-day life of just living in this part of the country with this crazy season, which I argue has nothing to do with the others. Spring, fall, and summer are variations on a theme, winter is another planet. (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, having lived through so many winters uh, in the North, I would have to agree. You know, I talk to a lot of people, Tommy, who, who say that, you know, oh, yeah, I, I live in the North. They, but they might be the Northeast. It might be New York or, you know, Philadelphia. They don't know North. And if you look at a map of the 48 states, the lower 48 Uh, of the uh, United States of America, the northernmost reach is that uh, of Minnesota, right? I mean, it it might curve and...
1: Yeah, yeah. Not only that, John, not only are we the northernmost state, but the majority of Canadian citizens live south of northern Minnesota. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. The majority (laughs) of people in the great white north live below northern minnesota
2: did, did, so we,
1: are, we are truly uh i mean so i don't even i don't even battle with canadians on this i don't i don't think they have much more to say i think we are a populated area in a very very cold part of the world and at least in the united states there aren't too many really populated areas that are colder, but I call the north, which is what this book is a a hymn to, I call the north, the northern states of the United States in from the two coasts. So say you pick it up about eastern Montana, and you ride it uh, going east till northern Michigan. As you move beyond those points, west or east, things soften a bit due to those oceans. So that's the north I'm talking about. I'm not not specifically saying Minnesota, but there is a region of this country that knows hard winter, and those people speak a different language than the other parts of the country. Yeah, I want to ask you to do me a favor, if you will.
2: I have been enjoying reading Winter's Song. A hymn to the north. I truly have uh, just enjoyed from the very beginning. Can I ask you to share a a passage or two, something that uh, the, you know from your pen to your mind, to or vice versa, and share it with us on the air here, just to give me a, a bit of a reading from the author?
1: Sure, I'll 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 choose. Where I start the book, because that's about where we are right now. The book starts right after Halloween, because that's when I first pick up the sense of winter coming. And I start the book after the introduction with, it looms. I can't see it yet, but in that first week of November, it looms. I sense it. Marching toward me like an old relative on a lumbering trek from a distant town, some brooding uncle who will dominate a table gathering without uttering a word, just by the weight of his presence. Each year I anticipate our impending visitor, and each year I feel that familiar rush of sensations, nostalgia, wistfulness, wonder, resignation, and old joy. They all roll through me, and I instinctively make the necessary internal adjustments. Some northerners start to prepare psychologically when that first cool autumn wind blows in September. They're already grieving summer's end and lamenting all that awaits. Not me. Summer in the north passes like a languid dream, and I heartily welcome the glorious autumn with its explosion of color and its short but clarion song. It's only after Halloween that I pick up the vibrational shift and take note of that familiar relative on the horizon beginning that steely march. I, now, that when, when, is how I when, open. When
2: you say uh, the vibration, um, as I was reading that myself, I could just sense that, yes, there is sort of a a hum or a vibration that comes with the coming winter. Your, your reference to um, the, the, the preparations that we all made for winter, oh, mother of goodness, growing up in a house where we had to hang storm windows, was that your house too, Tommy?
1: Absolutely and delightfully, I still see it. It's not gone away. My next door neighbor does it every year, and I watch him with delight. I'm usually in a lawn chair with a cigar, but I love watching <laughs> them do it, celebrating that old school approach to getting ready for winter. I love all the things associated with getting ready for winter. There's there's these traditions, and they're they're little badges that we all wear as we move through them. Are our winter badges as we prepare for that crazy season, that wild season that is unlike anything anybody else experiences in this country.
2: You know, let me ask you this. What, what, what do you think, um, if you can reach back in your mind, what is the coldest air temperature that you think you have sustained?
1: There was that, uh, there was that 61 below in embarrass i think it was embarrassment minnesota yes. was yeah it? yeah so yeah. that particular th- when when that hit there i was in Co- i was in collegeville minnesota and so you probably got to bring it down to i think we were i think we hit 35 below there um with wind chills at whatever but uh I don't know that I've, I haven't done the Ely thing. A, a lot of this book, or I shouldn't say a lot of it, there's a chapter where I talk to folks up in Ely and commonly winter camping out on the ice at, at 40 below, not unusual at all. I, I'm, not, I'm not in that camp, pardon the pun. <laughs> uh, I'm intrigued by their stories. My favorite stories from these guys were they're on the ice. It's the middle of the night. And the moans and the pings and the cries oh. and the strange sounds of the ice shifting, echoing, like echoing in a canyon under them and over them. And just this eerie sense that they create of what it's like to sleep on a frozen lake. Beautiful.
2: The number of times. Now, you you, you are, again, striking familiar chords for me, for anybody who spent any length of time in the great white North here and, and, and in in Minnesota especially. But I, I likened that pinging, that moaning of the ice to like whale songs in winter. I could just, I could
1: Absolutely. just,
2: yeah, as the ice would move against itself. And, and I'm still amazed by the people who are amazed that we would drive out onto the ice and um, just, Oh, and you, you,
1: you 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 remind me of something there. You remind me of something there. I'm sorry, but you remind me of the the people I interviewed who moved to Minnesota as adults from a tropical area. And the reports they had of staring at a frozen lake and people walking on it, walking on a frozen lake, sending photos back home to people who could not believe the courage, the extraordinary courage of Minnesotans (laughs) that they would even consider such a thing. No tight wire walk was was ever so daring. And then one woman talks about, I think she uh, immigrated from Asia, she talks about her husband, who was a Minnesotan, taking her out on the ice in a truck and spinning around and spinning around. And she thought, well, now I am going to die. This is where I die. We're now driving on this thing. But she reported both wanting to get off the lake and also wanting to stay on the the frozen lake because it was like the scariest, wondrous thrill ride she had ever been on at the fair. It was terrifying but exhilarating at the same time. And her description of it is just so wonderful.
2: In your description of that, I I was just going to reference that. It was just... I can, I can see that. I can sense that that sort of apprehension or outright fear that someone might have. Chatting with Tommy Mischke, T.D. Mischke, who has authored Winter's Song, A Hymn to the North. And we're going to talk some more about that. And I'm going to take, uh, we're, we'll discuss fire uh, when we continue. Because that, to me, was one of the parts of the book that just jumped out. We'll be right back here. News Talk 830, WCCO. Winter's Song, A Hymn to the North, a book from T.D. Mischke. Just came out, by the way. Great cover photo. I want to come back to that in just a moment, Tommy. Um, Tommy Mischke, my guest here this afternoon on News Talk 830 WCCO. There is a, a, a chapter that you write, uh, a section of the book called Fire. And you there's a, a, a line that says, A burning fire can hold one's attention for hours. And uh, it's one of these things, if you have ever sat, if you've spent a cold night in Minnesota and looking into a fire, whether a fire pit in the backyard or that fireplace in the living room, uh that will eventually suck all the heat out of the house if you don't have those glass <laughs> doors. Do <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> it's just like, Absolutely. oh, we can't have... We can't have a fire because it'll suck all the heat out of the house when the fire goes out at night. But, you know, it, it is one of those things. I am a person who, uh, for, if I don't have access to a fireplace, I will pull up the Yule log at Christmas and pull it up on a big screen TV and watch it. I just, it's what you say about holding one's attention is, is, is spot on. It, it could not be more correct.
1: I make the comparison in the book to something Herman Melville said in Moby Dick. He talked about how all over the world people are drawn to water and that you will see this time and time again where people arrive at a lakeshore or an ocean shore or a pond and just stare. They just stare at it. And he tried to understand what is that? Why are we just staring at that thing? What is the power of it? And I make the point in the book that Melville was not uh, a citizen of an area that had hard winters. He didn't know hard winters. And I argue that when you arrive in the north during a winter, you can pull water from that picture and put fire in its place. Fire in the winter is what holds one's attention. Fire becomes the meditative focal point Any Minnesotan will talk about the pull of water in the summer, spring, and fall, but it loses something when it's frozen. You don't stare at it as meditatively. Now your eyes move to the flame, and the flame in winter in the north is one of the most powerful things you can look at in every way. It's color, uh, it's movement, the the smell of the wood, the sound – With the winter waiting outside those windows, I just thought fire deserved its own chapter.
2: You know, know, but there is a a line in there, and this is where uh, that caught my attention right away, Um, you know, having lived my life in Minnesota, uh, where you say, in fact, there's probably not a natural feature in a northern winter that's ever been given the same degree of concentrated focus, I would argue... Uh, and I don't mean to argue with you, Tommy, but, um, the number of times that I have sat out on the shore of a northern lake, frozen, with no fire in sight, but the northern lights. That's probably, um, the, the northern lights are something that I can watch that can be equally as mesmerizing for me as the, as the, the flames of a, of a fireplace or a fire pit.
1: Oh, I, I can't agree with you more. It's just not as common to be able to have that experience. I would argue if you could have a mesmerizing northern lights display as often as you can sit in front of a fire, wow. yeah, that would that would usurp the flames. The northern lights are something just, I mean, literally otherworldly. Uh, so I agree with you. The fire is just something you can create. And I, I don't just mean... In the fireplace or the backyard fire pit, a candle. There are people I interview in the book. There's a whole chapter called Winter's Disciples, and it's about people who prefer winter. Winter is their season. They start to get down when spring comes. There are people like this. They were born for the winter. That is when they thrive. That's when they come alive. That's when they have all their energy. And they talk about all these different things they do, many of which have nothing to do with going out and enjoying it. It has to do more with what the season does to them. But the candle is a powerful, powerful thing in winter to these people. They'll get up in the morning and have candlelight breakfasts in the dark. And just that the way the candle flame itself holds their attention, it's quite something.
2: The book is called Winter's Song. A hymn to the north. And at the same time, and and I said this to you via text, and I didn't even realize what I was writing at the time, but um, there is something lyrical in the way that you write, and especially uh, when you write with your own fondness for winter. Did you have a paper route, Tommy? Yes, I did. Um, by delivering, I'm sure, probably the Grand Gazette or something like that. I'm just wondering if you delivered the Pioneer Press or the Dispatch that early in the morning or, or late. Because we would be out there, as you point out in, in reference in Winter's Song, talking about the idea that, uh, the sun's gone. The sun is gone at 4.30 in the
1: afternoon. There's, there's nothing more to see here, folks. Right. Now, you could argue that that should depress somebody. But what many people told me was that the sun going down gives them permission to say it's the end of the day. And suddenly they're relaxing much earlier than they would normally, certainly much earlier than on a summer day. They talk about how there's this anxious pull on them to do something, do something, do something at five, six, seven, eight nine o'clock in the summer, because it's still light out, and they hate it. And what they want is to be given permission to pour a drink and sit down and say, day's over, relaxing time. And that sun going down early says to them, relaxing time, and they love it. So there's all sorts of ways to look at this thing that we sometimes think causes depression. Actually, again, in Winter's Disciples, the depression with these people comes in the summer. They actually get down in the in the good weather. Now, this is not to say the book doesn't address the dark parts of winter and uh, in all its different variations. I write an entire chapter called Winter's Shadow Side, and it's about the people who are done in by that season. Now, I would argue with how much the season dominates our calendar, that if winter truly does you in, you have got to move unless you can't if you can't for some reason I understand, but do not live in the north if you hate winter that's that's not a good idea
2: well I um, have had the opportunity to be away from winter on occasion, but i don't hate winter, and I have never no, no matter where I go, I will not give up my uh sorrels and my um my uh, uh, the, the, the Voyager's coat that I have made from a Hudson Bay Trading Company blanket. So uh, I, I, I still have that. Let me, let me do this, Tommy. I want to take a break because I want to ask you about a couple of other things not related to Winter's Song, if I can. Winter's Song, A Hymn to the North. It's a really great book, and it's a great book to share with friends of yours who perhaps did... Uh, move away because they couldn't deal with it or they didn't want to deal with it anymore. So we'll talk about that and some other things here coming up, including a couple of the things you're working on now, Tommy. Sounds great. All right, good. It is um, 12.31, chatting with T.D. Mischke. Winter Song, A Hymn to the North is a brand-new book from him, and we'll be right back on News Talk 830 WCCO. Chatting with Tom Mischke. We're talking about Winter's Song, a hymn to the North, and other things. But it is amazing to me as I look down the extended forecast; it's playing out exactly as you authored uh, in the book, Winter's Song, Tom. And not a surprise because it's been happening year after year. Uh, hey, let me ask you about something else here. I, you know, see you on Facebook all the time, um, and you posed a question uh, about loss people who have maybe have lost something. Can you tell us a little bit about that, or do you want to share that, or is it too premature to to be able to get into that?
1: No, I don't mind bringing that up, and it's something that I'm still formulating in my head, but it's related to the next podcast I put out. Before I get to that, uh, because I would be very upset afterward if I didn't mention this, I want to be sure to tell people there is a book release party for Winter's Song. I know I won't remember it when we go on to this next subject, so I want to say October 30th, the night before Halloween, there's a book release party at the Dubliner Pub on Vandalia and Cretan in St. Paul from 6 to 10 p.m. I would love it if people listening could come down to that. Again, the Dubliner on Cretan and Vandalia, 6 to 10, October 30th. I'll be there signing books and the book will be for sale there. want to throw that in. And if anybody's wondering, and they're going to, they'll call after if they're not calling now, where do you get the book? I was just in Next Chapter Books on Snelling and Grand and saw it. So it's in that independent bookstore. I hope it's in all the independent bookstore bookstores out there. But I did see it at Next Chapter Booksellers on Grand and Snelling in St. Paul. Now, this other thing I'm doing, Johnny, this is for my podcast, which I've been doing for 11 years. As you know, I left CCO rather abruptly at one point in my life. I was working nights there, and I'd been in radio 22 years, and I decided it was time to just do something else before uh, before this life of mine is over. So I tried this podcasting thing, which allowed me to travel the United States interviewing people and talking to people from all walks of life, eccentrics, iconoclasts average people who had extraordinary experiences, stuff like that. But this latest thing I'm working on, I'm playing with the idea of what we lose in life, things we have lost, and all the different ways that manifests itself. And I put out a question on Facebook saying to people, when I say lost and you think about your life, what comes to mind? And it was utterly fascinating, the responses I got. Everything from feeling lost, personally feeling lost, To the most precious thing to you that had been lost some item a ring your grandfather had given you uh, uh, something that your your mother's wedding ring something that was really important your your dad's baseball mitt something got lost and it meant the world to you or in the most terrible cases a spouse dies and a person just feels utterly lost just lost having no idea who they are anymore without being in relation to this person, how they face life, what life is now without them. And I just began to explore this idea because what I realized was when we come into this world, we don't have anything. So there is nothing to lose outside of our own life, which when we've lost that, we're not even going to be aware that we've lost it. There is nothing to lose. So it's it's also a story about what we acquire and the meaning we give to what we acquire the meaning that uh, that we that a person has a brother a sister a mother a spouse the meaning things have the, so that when we lose them after giving them all that meaning it's such a powerful thing to lose and it's in proportion to the meaning we give these things and i've i've been playing with this idea this month the show doesn't come out until november 1st uh, my podcast just come out monthly And you can find them at Roadshow.com. But at this point in the month, I'm not 100% sure what the show is going to sound like yet. I'm talking to people. I'm interviewing people. I'm playing with this idea. And you won't believe where the idea came from. I was driving down Hennepin Avenue, and I said, Hennepin, Lewis Hennepin, explorer, priest, Franciscan. What's his story? And I went on to learn that he was actually born Anthony, not Louis. And then I understood why it was St. Anthony Falls. He gave St. Anthony Falls that name. And then I thought about St. Anthony of Padua, the patron saint of what? Lost things. Lost things, sure. Yeah, that's how I headed down that road. So that's where this is all coming from.
2: Well, I'll look forward to hearing that podcast, but let me remind everybody again, a week from Monday on the 30th at the Dubliner. Why am I surprised it's happening at the Dubliner? But anyway, (laughs) that uh, Tommy Mishke, I'm assuming you're going to be signing books at this release party, right? For people who uh, step up and would like to get a copy of Winter's Song.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, the Dubliner just happens to be my favorite Irish pub. And I will I will argue that there are a few authentic Irish pubs left in this town that really, really have the feel of what you would find in Ireland. And uh, so I love this joint in St. Paul. And I'm going to have it there because we can have a little music and there's some fun to be had. And it's just a relaxing environment. I, I really hope people will show up there. And even if you don't want to get the book, just come and say hi. What time does it start? What time do you start this again? I'll be there at 6 p.m. and sticking around till
2: 10. Well, wonderful. Hey, Tommy, I look forward to having a chance to chat. I know that while you are working on your podcast, you take some time and you you travel from here to there. I hope that uh, you will keep in touch with me. And when you travel my way, uh, we will make a point of getting together. I would be happy to host you uh, as you continue your travels on down the road.
1: Johnny, not only will I show up at your place just for a chance to give you a big hug and BS with you, just the fact that you're offering me a free bed, Collie. I'm I'm there, brother. (laughs) Okay, well, you got
2: it. (laughs) I I said it, so you got it. Hey, again, (laughs) um, winter song. A hymn to the north. You can find it at independent bookstores all over the place. I got mine online and I, uh, just cause it was just the easiest way for me to get to it. But the Dubliner, yeah. n- a week from Monday on the 30th, uh, from six until 10, Tommy Mischke will be down there and, um, with, with his good friend, uh, Mr. Jameson, I'm sure we'll be standing not too far away, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. He'll even be signing books. <laughs> there you go.
2: Hey, take care, Tommy. Thank you for joining me this afternoon here as I get this chance to fill in for Shaletta. You have a great weekend and uh and good luck with the book. Keep in touch. I you
1: better or I will hunt you down. Thank you, Johnny. I appreciate it. I hope to talk to you again soon. You be well. All right, take care.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?